but it's a real joy to be here with you this morning and uh, uh, really have been looking forward to uh, being able to come and be back here with you at Kingsway. Uh, thanks to Pastor John and, uh, and also to um, uh, our sister for leading this morning and Pastor John for inviting us. It's a real privilege. So we've known the Shipmans for, for quite a few years now and um, so that's been a real, uh, real blessing for us. Um, for those of you who don't know myself and my wife, um, Suzanne, we pastor a church called Cornerstone Gospel Church and that's located over in Cranbourne and we've been in the area now since uh, 1998. Uh, we've lived down in this area. We were missionaries for uh, six years in southern China which is where uh, our, our son, this is Casey, who's here with us today down from Queensland, um, he, he kind of grew up there as a child and so uh, um, we were there for six years in southern China in a place called Macau. Um, so that was a really amazing experience and it's where God did a lot of changes in our lives um, and that kind of incorporates into what I want to talk about here this morning, this process of growth. So let's, um, uh, let's turn to... Second Corinthians, Second Corinthians, chapter ten. I want to use this as the text, and we'll come back to this text in a moment. Our Father, we thank you and we praise you this morning. Uh, thank you for the opportunity to join in song, uh, to join in fellowship. Lord, for the opportunity to pray together and also, Lord, for us to be able to hear from your word. As we offer up our worship to you in our lives, Lord God, uh, we ask, Father, that you would find our worship acceptable unto you. We pray, Father, for your word, that it would uh, work deeply down in our hearts, Lord, rooting out those things which are fleshly and which stem from our own thoughts and desires separating them from that which is spiritual and stemming from you. We ask you this in the name of your beloved Son, Jesus the Messiah. Amen. So 2 Corinthians 10, as we talk about this process of growth, and uh, it's, a, it's a very simple thing, but the process of growth in some ways is a mysterious thing. And that is a little bit like putting a seed into the garden. That a seed essentially is essentially dead and you put it into the soil and you add some water and then you know there's, there's some chemical reactions that take place and out of that seed, life comes forth. But as the Lord said, unless it first falls into the ground and dies, then it has no fruit. So there is a, there is a mysterious element to Christian growth that does not rely solely on, the, on human effort. If the kingdom of God was about human effort, then legalism would be the way. We would be able to be saved by our works. But there is a spiritual uh, element to growth in the Christian life that couples with human responsibility. And so I kind of want to talk about where I believe those two things meet together and, and this is a very important thing for us to understand. So 2 Corinthians 10, uh, an often 
misused passage this is, beginning at verse 1. I, Paul, myself entreat you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. I, who am humble when face to face with you, but bold toward you when I am away. I beg of you that when I am present, I may not have to show boldness with such confidence as I count on showing against some who suspect us of walking in the flesh or walking according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not flesh, are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. So I want us to see in the process of growth the power of God's word. This is shown to us right from the very begin of the biblical narrative In Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void and darkness was over the surface of the the deep. And the Spirit of God was moving on the surface of the water. Then God said, let there be light. And what? And there was light. Okay. So isn't it true, many times we wonder why... If we've become a Christian and we're a new creation in Christ Jesus, why is there this tension and this battle with sin in our lives? Why does that still exist if I'm a believer in Jesus? If I'm a new creation, why do I have to struggle so much? And now I don't know about you, maybe I'm just talking about myself here, but I'm sure there's at least one other person here who has struggled with sin. So for me and you, this message is. So... I'm going to diagram this a little bit for us to help us understand this. Human life is fundamentally that you and I are a spiritual being and we're housed in a body. Now, I'm not getting all new agey on you. Um, I'm not talking about the mind-body-spirit festival or any crazy thing like that. Uh, But the essence of who you are is housed within this body, and the body is actually, apart from uh, giving you the means for occupation in this world, the body is really essentially meaningless uh, in so many ways. And we pay far too much attention to it. We're, We're in a generation that now is so focused on the body that we have all kinds of body image problems. Um... But our spirit resides in the body. Now, you can think of the body as a house uh, that the real you dwells in. And, uh, you know, that, that um, there's debate about this next part in some ways. But I don't want you to get caught on something that's not important. There, essentially, there are people who believe that, that people are a two-part being. We are spirit and body. And there are people who, who say that we are spirit, soul and body. And I think it's an irrelevant argument because the issue is not so much about whether we are a bipartite being or a tripartite being. That's not the issue. But understand that the soul of a person is uh, is that part of us which is the inner man, 
This is the part we need to understand about this lesson as we're getting to it today. And the inner man is actually the realm from which you and I communicate. It's the realm in which we uh, 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 digest ideas and we ponder things. So the inner man can be thought of as that area of the mind or the area of thoughts and thinking, the will, the area that, that actions stem from, and the area of emotions, our feelings, that these are part of the inner man. So essentially we have the inner man that's housed in a, in a body. Amen? We, we, we can get past this idea of bipartitism or tripartitism. It, it really is irrelevant. We know that we have the inner man that's housed inside this body that we walk. We just shook hands with one another. We're not just ghosts wandering around. Okay, We're physical beings. But the real part of you is that part that connects, You know, where we have that, that intellectual and emotional connection with people. Now, this is where it happens. When a person is born again, the Spirit of God comes to dwell within you in the inner man. So your spirit is born again. That, that inward person of who you are is born again. And one day we will be taken from this world and we'll be taken out of this body with its aches and pains and various different distresses, you know, and its, its blindnesses and all, you know, its falling out teeth and all, all the issues that we have in this body and we will be perfected in that time. Hallelujah. But right now, God's Spirit resides in you in this body in which you live. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says... Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, behold, all has become new. Now, when I was first a Christian, this verse was a bit of a puzzle to me, like, because I really wondered, if I am a new creation, and Lord, your word says all has become new, then why am I struggling so much with sin? If I'm a new creation, and I, I was just a young believer, so I didn't understand this. I'm just reading my Bible and, and coming across verses like this. And, and so I wondered this question, why is it that I struggle with sin? <coughs> if you think about your life prior to Christ, you spent a lot of time sowing sin into your life. And where did you sow that sin into your life? You sowed it into this area of the mind, will and emotions, the thoughts, actions and feelings. You know, so much so that there can be times you just think about anything in life. You walk past a bakery, you smell that bread. It's, you know, they they have fans out in those places and they pump that smell out. It's a it's a form of marketing, you know. And, and you smell that bread and you start thinking, oh, you know, that it's winter, some soup and some bread. Oh, I could take a sourdough and put some butter on and dip that in. There's, there's a connection to experience that takes place. And this is the same with sin, that as you and I give ourselves to sin, there's a connection to that experience that, 
the experiences we've had in the past have evoked in us certain emotional and intellectual responses. And this means that you can't go through life without being affected when you come into certain places and times. You, you might hear a piece of music on the radio and suddenly your mind is drawn back to those high school years and relationships that you had. And then it's drawn into thinking about some of those relationships in a very unhealthy way. See, this is all happening in that realm, in that soulish realm, if we want to use that term, in in that area. So when we spend much of life sowing sin into that realm, we then have, this is where the process of sanctification is at work. If we could think about that, we're kind of unsowing that sin. Instead, there's a different process taking place. So we'll keep moving on towards that. But think about some of the powerful impacts of sin in your life. You know, some, some of us have been given to all kinds of sensuality, uh, maybe to jealousy, you know, quirks in our nature, we might call them, where, where oh, I'm just triggered, I get very angry very easily. These are all reactions because of the sowing to the flesh in our lives that we've done. And sometimes it's, it's been a sowing to the flesh from other people, that they, they have affected us. So, so there are a lot of years of wrongdoing that need some undoing. Sanctification is this process where from the time we get saved until the time we're taken to be with the Lord, God is changing our lives and molding us and shaping us. It is a process over time. That's what it is. Now, there are a lot of years of wrongdoing that need undoing. Paul, when he speaks to the Christians in Ephesus, and he speaks about putting on the armour of God, in Ephesians 6, verse 17, starting in verse 16, he says, In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish the fiery darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation. And the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. <coughs> now, I uh, was impressed to see this uh, Yamaha parked outside, a bit of a bike uh, nut myself. I like motorbikes, and, um, but I've always ridden with helmets all the time. You know, there, there's enough issues with this noggin as it is without coming off a bike and hitting, hitting my head uh, somewhere. Um, so you and I have sown into the flesh for many years and develop these sinful behaviours, these behaviours are embedded in this inner man. They're not in the body. They're not, they're not in the body. Your body does not sin automatically. It is choices we make. And this is why in Romans 6, you know, there's such a strong teaching in Romans 6 about, about yielding our body up to the Lord for his service rather than yielding the members of our body over to sin. And this is all to do with the heart, the inner person. Let's keep moving along. Romans 12 
1 and 2. You might want to turn over to there. Let's, let's turn to Romans 12. It's a fantastic passage for you to uh, remember. Romans 12 verses 1 and 2. Paul declares to us in verse 1, I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And then he says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. So this is an internal transformation. The Bible is way less worried about our bodies than we are. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. (coughs) So in the realm of the inner man, This is where the Bible says that you and I need renewal. This is the renewal of the mind. Just bear this in thought, that as we are seeing the mind renewed, how? By this transforming power of God's Word. It's the renewal of the will that we have, the actions that we commit, that there's a transformation on the inside so that we're committing to entirely new actions. Rather than self-serving, we have the Lord's focus in hand so that his will becomes paramount and the actions of our life are flowing out from that. They're not accidental though. This is a renewal in the area of emotions. Transforming you in the inner man is the work of God's word. This is what the Lord wants to achieve in us that we would be transformed in the inner man and that our lives, our feelings, our actions, our thoughts would all be changed as a result of that. Hebrews 4 verse 12 gives us a fantastic verse speaking to this. For the word of God is living and powerful or the ESV says living and active sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The sword that the author of Hebrews is probably referring to is a Roman short sword, and if you if you um, a student of history at all, you'll know a bit about the Roman short sword that it was used in hand-to-hand combat. By the time the Roman soldiers had that sword in hand, this was close quarters combat that these people were involved in. And one of the mechanisms, it's not the kind of sword that you stood back and had a fencing contest with. It was a short sword, very stout, uh, stubby sword, blade was, uh, was sharp on both sides, both edges, so that it didn't matter how he pulled it out of his scabbard, that as he grabbed that sword in his hand, the blade would be able to be faced toward the opponent immediately, but it usually wasn't used in a downward thrust. The heel of it might be used in that way. 
the way that the Roman short sword was usually used was in hand-to-hand combat of grabbing the enemy and thrusting the sword in right down near the groin and ripping it out through his chest. This was a move they practiced. This is a, a con- when you're fighting for your life, this is a, you know, this is what it was for. And in hand-to-hand combat, you're not parrying with someone at a distance. You're up close and, and grabbing them and thrusting that sword in and pulling it out. And Paul says, or, or the author of Hebrews says, that, that the word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. It's sharper than even this. That as it pierces into the division of these, this, the inner person, dividing it, separating it, he's giving all this imagery to them. They knew what he's talking about. He's giving that imagery so my first pastor used to say that God's word is, is like the two-edged sword that as it enters in, it cuts and separates and as it comes out, it heals and brings together. And, you know, that's a poetic way to think of it. But the imagery the author of Hebrews is giving is one of this cutting in deep to the inner person and separating out the, the thoughts of our hearts separating these things from what are the thoughts of our hearts to what are the thoughts of God's mind for us. And this is vital for you and I. Can you see where the Word of God is doing its real work? Is in the inner man. That's where God wants to do His real work in you and I. It's a work in this inner man. Turn back to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. And we'll read through there again. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. And we're going to pick up part of this passage in just a moment. I, Paul, myself, entreat you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. I, who am humble when face to face with you, but bold toward you when I am away. I beg of you that when I am present... I may not have to show boldness with such confidence as I count on showing against some who suspect us of walking according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to pull down or to destroy strongholds. If you've been a Christian for any length of time, you know that in the 90s and the early 2000s, there was a, you know, a, a, a powerfully false move among the churches of tearing down strongholds and There were Christians from Frankston who'd go up onto Oliver's Hill and pray dominion over the city of Frankston and tear down the spirits, reciting this verse. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to pull down strongholds. We destroy arguments. What are these strongholds? Arguments. Where do arguments come from? Out of the inner man. And he's not talking about 
arguments as in us standing and facing off with each other and just having some kind of spat. He's talking about arguments here as this logic of reasoning in a sense. So he's talking about we destroy false ideas. How do we destroy these false ideas? We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. Here, Paul is teaching the church that the flesh comes from the inside. The flesh is where the realm of thoughts and and feelings and emotions and where we reason things that are wrong, it comes from the inside of a person. We destroy this and take every thought captivity to the obedience of Christ. Being ready to punish every disobedience, that disobedience is wrong thoughts, wrong arguments, when your obedience is complete. Paul is speaking of some kind of... He's not speaking about this kind of up on Oliver's Hill spiritual warfare movement. He's not talking about that. He's not saying that we're going to take the land here and that there's a stronghold over Frankston or Carum Downs, you know, that there's, there's, there's a spiritual stronghold over this place. He's not talking about that. He's talking about strongholds in our lives. That in our lives we take... We take dominion over these strongholds by replacing these wrong arguments with the truth of God's Word. Now, believe it or not, you and I probably have some wrong ideas about things. Well, I'll just speak for me. I, I you know, probably have some wrong ideas about things in life. And those wrong ideas are corrected by the truth of God's Word. And so Paul is saying that the real battle... For genuine spirituality in in the Christian life is in this realm of replacing a constant process of you and I replacing wrong thinking with right thinking from God's Word. Think about before you're a Christian. Before I was a Christian, I was never keen on the idea of homosexuality. But I couldn't care less if people were homosexuals. That was up to them. But when I became a Christian, something transformed within me that changed the way I thought about that. And so you and I find ourselves, as time goes by, that we're becoming further and further and further apart from the way the world thinks. We look at safe schools and the teaching of transgenderism to our young people and we go, this is insane. And the world says what? Don't you think that's normal? We're we're becoming polar opposites. And why is that? Because you and I are being taught by the Word of God to think as God would have us think. And beloved, there's, there's a problem with this, is this is going to put you in opposition to the world. That's another sermon for another day. So... The real battle for spirituality, true spirituality, the real battle for growth in your life, the real battle for control of your emotions, whether it's lustful emotions or or anger or hate or infatuation or sudden impulses, the real battle for control over all these things is in the strongholds of your mind. It's a fantastic castle. It's the strongest looking castle I could find to put in there. Because when we have wrong thinking and it's embedded in, 
you know. Ever, ever um, talk to someone and even though you show them something that, that you know to be absolutely correct, then they say to you after they listen to you, well, it doesn't matter, you won't change my mind. They've got a stronghold. That's all the word stronghold means, is a fortress. They have a fortress in their mind. And in that situation, what they're doing is saying, I don't care about truth. Think what you think. I'll think what I want to think. You're not changing my mind. And this is what Paul talks about here. Your mind is where the strongholds are. (coughs) And we have to come to God humbly saying, Lord, transform me. Paul, in, in Romans, as we read before, he says, and keep being transformed. The, the, the verb tenses of the words to be transformed there are in the continuous tense. So it's be being transformed would be a better way of reading it. This is where we war. This is where the real war is for you. It's in this realm of the mind, will and emotions. It's, that's where the battle is. Constantly. And we have to be vigilant. So what is Paul saying? You see it fading away a little there? This is how I see this working. Is that as we grow closer closer to the Lord, these strongholds are weakened in our lives. And some of them we we gain victory over. They're they're taken away. And and that, that removal of that stronghold is because we're walking in obedience with the Lord in that area. 2 Corinthians 3 says we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another or the the King James says from glory to glory but I love the way the ESV brings that out we're being transformed from one degree of glory to another For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. This transformation is in the inner man. That's where God is transforming you. So if you see someone start coming to church who's come out of a a crazy, wild, wayward life and he walks into church with, with long hair and tattoos and bikey outfit or whatever, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter about the external man. The issue is what is happening on the inside of that person's life and how can God transform them on the inside and then all those markings and and different things that might happen become a testimony to what the Lord has done in their lives instead of a statement of their rebellion. You see, it's not only a transformation away from the strongholds of wrong thinking, it's a transformation to conformity with Christ and that transformation to conformity with Christ occurs as the word of God is invested deeper and deeper in our hearts. Our lives are shaped and mould. Remember Romans 12, 1 and 2, I appeal to you brothers by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world. I am telling you that right now, Christians in the West are about to, we are moving into a period where there is uh, going to be intense persecution of Christianity. 
It is happening all over the world. And you can see this in the UK, you can see it in Canada, uh, in America, in New Zealand. It's just, it's disgraceful. From our viewpoint, as, as essentially nations founded on Christian principles, but we shouldn't be surprised. Paul said, all who long to live godly in Christ Jesus will, W-I-L-L, will. It didn't say may. He didn't say, will maybe. He said, will suffer persecution. And so, beloved, in, in order for us not to be offended by that persecution, in order for us not to be insulted by that persecution, we must walk near to the Lord. So that as we walk near to Him, we count it a joy to suffer for His namesake. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. It's not conformity to a church code. It's not conformity to a, a statement of faith or any such thing. It's you know, not about reciting the, the Nicene Creed or the Apostles' Creed. I couldn't recite any of those things to you. I have very little interest in those kinds of things. It's conformity to the Word of God that is essential to us, that we be transformed by the renewal of our mind. This is the lifelong call of your life. This is what God wants from you from day to day to day to day that you are changed from one degree of glory to another. What a beautiful picture that is for us. From one degree of glory to another. This is the lifelong call for you, breaking down the strongholds of your wrong thinking by replacing them with the Word of God into your mind, into your heart, and in so doing, being transformed. And to the degree that this is happening, I believe, is reflects Romans 8.29. I'll I'll put it up here for you. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined, and this is not a verse that is a dispute about Calvinism or Arminianism. I just wish I'd never heard of those words. It's not, not about that. For those whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. This is what God's predestination for you is. He wants to take you from the decrepit, sinful you that you were before Jesus. An enemy of God in your mind, the Bible says. He wants to take you from that and move you along through the process of sanctification to where you're looking like Jesus. He is obviously not talking about physically. That's pretty hard for us white-skinned Aussies. You know, not going to look like Jesus, despite the Catholic Church pictures of Jesus with white skin and blue eyes and soft little lady-like hands. You know, what a disgusting image of the Lord. He wants us to be transformed to look like Jesus where? In the inner man. That's where it is going to take place. That's why 
Paul, when he writes to the Philippians, he says, let this mind be in you which was in Jesus, who though he was equal with God, he didn't claim that equality. Instead, he took on the form of a servant like you and I. This is the process of growth. And so hopefully this takes a little of the mystery out of growth. Growth growth doesn't happen just automatically. It happens by nurturing. Nurture the seed of God's word in your heart and it will bring forth the fruit in your life. And the true fruit of that, the, the Galatians 5 fruit of the spirit, when you look at that list, that list is an image or, or a representation of characteristics of Jesus. And so the more you and I bear in us the word of God and live accordingly, the more we will display the fruit of the Spirit to people, not by effort. I love growing veggies, but I've never ever gone out to the back garden and heard my veggies groaning to get bigger. They're, they're just all going, just, you know, press out another broccoli head. You know, they, they just don't do that. None of them have ever done that. But something happens from within that that tiny little seed put in there and a bit of water and, and you know, God does his thing and, and that, that plant comes up and out of it comes fruitfulness. <coughs> God will do his thing in your life and produce fruitfulness as you and I yield to his word. Amen? Hallelujah. <coughs> Sorry. That is God's predestination for you. If you want to talk about predestination without any argument, that is predestination. God wants you to look like Jesus. Hallelujah. Our Father, we thank you and we praise you this morning. Thank you for your love and your grace. Thank you, Lord, for all you've done in our hearts and in our lives, Lord. Help us, Father, that we would embrace and understand all that you have for us in your word. Help us, Lord, as we recognize faults and failings that we have in our inner man. 